Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 5th of June. I'm Robert Bowick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, the hidden rot destroying Australia's great protector. And the market is broken, save the dairy industry. Now, as usual, what we're going to cover on this show is elaborated in more detail in our weekly magazine, the Australian Alert Service. So, if you haven't received a copy before, you're welcome to call in on our toll-free number and order a copy of that. Also, before we get going, I just want to give a plug to a video we put up on YouTube the other day, which is my interview with Dr. Peter Brain from the National Institute of Economic and Industry Research on the importance of a national development bank. And it's really worth watching. He's, a, he's a, an expert economist on this question. He's thought about it a lot for many years. And he's worth listening to because he was one of the few that didn't go along with the neoliberal consensus that took over Australia and brought us to the position that we're in, which we'll talk about a bit more in this show. So please take the time to watch that interview. We're going to play a clip um, from it that we didn't use in what's on YouTube. We're going to on a different subject today in this show. Um, so, Craig, let's get into it. Yeah. The hidden rot destroying... Australia's great protector. And of course, our great protector is the United States of America. Right? This is how Australia is defining itself at the moment. And we've been very critical of that for a long time, because of, not because America can't be a protector, but because America's choosing to be on the world stage. And right now, it is tearing apart with these protests that have erupted. And they're quite extraordinary from the death of this um, gentleman, George, George Floyd, um, a week or so ago. Now, we want to talk about a certain aspect of this, Craig, but I do, you know, further what I just said, you've got to make a comparison. There's, you know, we, we cover it on the, back, on the back page of the alert this week, just the hypocrisy between, the, there's politicians in America now that spent all last year cheering the riots in Hong Kong, really brutal, vicious riots that destroyed people's lives over there, and they cheered the miners' freedom fighters, and the same politicians are now literally threatening to send in the troops, send in the military to squash these... Um, riots in the United States, right? And our argument is they shouldn't have been messing in Hong Kong in the first place, and the world would be a better place if they didn't do that. But I just want to say that you can, that's, a bit, that's elaborated on here. That's not what we want to talk about, though. This is a tragedy, what's happening in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's the, it's the end result of decades of tragedy. And people have to understand the, the cause and effect here there's, there's specific, we don't want to talk about the, the racial issues, there's a long history of those, but when you have a country falling apart in flames like it is at the moment, Craig, there's a, there's a big component of that which reflects what the economy's like, right? So we want to play a clip, I want to play a clip here that illustrates in a very fundamental way just how much the United States is decaying as a society Right, and it's a little bit out of left field, but watch this clip and then we'll talk more on it. The tunnels are about 107 years old. They were built using cast iron tubes. These tunnels were not built in rock, uh, but rather were basically built lying on the riverbed and now sit about 20 feet down within the riverbed in the silt. So there is water that intrudes from the river 
through the cast iron ring into the cement that lines the tunnels. The intrusion of the salt water over time has been continuing to deteriorate the concrete. It has reached the rebar, and the corroding rebar is actually breaking apart the cement, which is then falling down onto the track. Aggravating the entire situation is that Superstorm Sandy filled much of the tunnel with salt water. Once the salt water was pumped out of the tunnel, much of the salt residue remained. That salt is still sitting on the cement, decomposing the cement, and eroding the copper cables. So that's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo describing, this is New York City he's talking about, two railway tunnels under the Hudson River and the state they're in. Robbie, I should point out that that clip comes from a very important initiative in the United States right now, Infrastructure Bank Coalition, and you know, the websites will be on the bottom of the screen now. Very, very important. This is a very uh, you know, high-powered group of people that push and actually have had a National Infrastructure Bank introduced into the US Congress. And that clip, that particular clip is part of a bigger clip, which goes through why it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely. It's, some, it's a substantial breakthrough in the United States. Well, because what, one of the things that I wanted to highlight here, Craig, you and I did a show the week after Donald Trump was elected, and we welcomed his election. And the reason we welcomed his election is because, not, not because of what he said about Mexicans or, or, or anything like that, but because he represents certain things he said that was a real threat to Wall Street. Mm. One of those was... In, among his policies was a call for a Glass-Steagall separation of banks, right? So that banks with deposits, commercial banks with deposits, were kept protected from the predators on Wall Street, right? And that was one of his election promises. Another one of his election promises was for a national infrastructure bank. It actually was. And spending $2 trillion on infrastructure, right? And then what you saw in that clip is how desperately America needs it. And if you want more proof, go and watch a clip on YouTube, a rather lengthy one called The Crumbling of America, produced by America's Society of Engineers. And this is now a decade old, this, and nothing's been done, yeah. right? America is falling apart. And contrast, I mean, you've got to understand when America carries on about China the way they do, there's a, there's a subliminal fear there because they've let this happen to their own country. And what's China doing by contrast? Right? 35,000 kilometres of high-speed rail is what China's built in the last decade since the Crumbling of America documentary was made, right? It's a, it's a totally different thing, a, a different approach. And America is badly falling behind, and it's the people of America that are, that are paying for it. And we said in this, pre we did a press release at the time, Craig, where we concluded, um, if Trump delivers, that is, if Trump delivers, which remains to be seen, there are numerous vested interests scrambling to influence Trump to change his course on these issues, including the Republican Party establishment, Wall Street, and the British and Australian governments. And unfortunately, they succeeded. And Robbie, I'd also point out, because I remember that period quite, you know, quite vividly, as many of our watchers would, there was always a threat of war. I mean, look at the war, the war threat that came from Obama, and then you know, Hillary Clinton threatening war against Iran and all sorts of things. So when Trump came in, he was very yep. clear, no more of these no foreign more. wars, right? Now, yep. he's done some of that. He's pulled troops out of certain places, but instead of a, a hot war in terms of guns, he's creating all these trade wars. 
And, well, that's the thing. He, so he, there is some things he's, he's still tried to do, and he complains. Look, I, they won't let me end permanent wars, and that's, that's a telling statement in itself. The whole Russiagate thing, Craig, was a, an assault on him to make sure none of this happened. Yeah. Right? The deep state, what they call the deep state, these intelligence agents, etc., they, they represent Wall Street. They represent the city of London that some of these policies, like a national infrastructure bank and um, Glass-Steagall, were a threat to. So he didn't go down that path, and instead... The people that were prepared to work with him included a vicious gang of China bashers, absolutely vicious, racist China, China haters, and they t convinced Trump to start a trade war. Now, has it worked? The public has been told for quite a few, for quite a while now. They, the, the, the line is, before the pandemic, the American economy was great. Well, what you're seeing on your screens from America is not a great economy. Right? And I know that because Trump was saying we've got a great economy, but he didn't do, if he had a built, spent $2 trillion on infrastructure, employing those people, uh, reviving America's cities, it would be a much different country today. But instead of doing that, did this trade war path where, where, where the idea was to get China just to bend its knee and eventually buy more stuff from the United States, instead of developing America and creating more demand for steel that they could have produced locally, etc. You know, instead of doing that, and the results have been absolutely disastrous. But he's been telling a lie. I'm calling Donald Trump a lie, and I want to prove it. Because he's been the only things he could point to were, oh, the stock market's great, and unemployment is low, right? Well, we know unemployment statistics, statistics are a lie, and I, was kept, I kept asking our American friends, is the economy turning around? And they said, we can't see it, right? And Donald Trump knows the unemployment statistics were lies, but I want to prove he knew the stock market thing was rubbish as well. So this is him. In June 2015, when he launched his campaign, look what he said about the stock market that day. Reduce our 18 trillion in debt, because believe me, we're in a bubble. We have artificially low interest rates. We have a stock market that frankly has been good to me, but I still hate to see what's happening. We have a stock market that is so bloated. Be careful of a bubble. Because what you've seen in the past might be small potatoes compared to what happens. So be very, very careful. And if you don't believe that, a bit over a year later, in his debate with Hillary, he said it again. We have the worst revival of an economy since the Great Depression. And believe me, we're in a bubble right now. And the only thing that looks good is the stock market. But if you raise interest rates even a little bit, that's going to come crashing down. We are in a big, fat, ugly bubble. So this is something that he... How many times have you heard Trump in the last few years crowing about how great the US stock market is? A much bigger bubble than when he was calling it a bubble. So he knows that was rubbish. He, the, the path he was in a sense, perhaps you could say forced to go down, hasn't worked. America's in flames. They've got to turn it around. Craig, what could America's cities look like today if Trump had have delivered on those promises for a national infrastructure bank? Well, today, Robbie, the American Society of Engineers is saying that there's a $4 trillion deficit in infrastructure. And what uh, Como has, Kiyomo has uh, made clear is that's the nature of not just New York City, but all over yeah. America. So the point is that what do you do? You create the equivalent of what Roosevelt did with the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. You create, in this case, as has already been created in the United States, you know, the, uh, the, the, the National Infrastructure Bank. Uh, like this bill that's just been Investment bank, right? Yep. Like it's already there. You've got a, a very high-powered group of people you know, around the NIB coalition that have introduced this legislation into the parliament. You take that bank 
and you literally issue credit into every local county area that needs projects done. That'll employ thousands, if not millions of people, more likely millions in the United States. Therefore, you immediately stimulate the economy. And you could do it very quickly. Yep. Now, if he'd done that when he first came into, uh, into the, the presidency, he's gonna, he would have had a lot of fights, but guess what? He would have the people on his side. He would have recruited all the county uh, officials and so forth on his side because this is what's absolutely needed. There wouldn't be a need for the sort of rhetoric that he's getting into now in order bashing China because that is seen by many people as, and he's been told, that's the way you get yourself re-elected. But what a pathetic way to get re-elected. Yeah. Instead of saying, look at all these great you know, projects that we've built, you know, we restored these bridges, we restored the railway systems, we've built high-speed rail, we've built you know, waterways, we've cleaned out waterways, reconstructed more dams and all sorts of things like that. He can't say any of that whatsoever. No. He points to fake a stock market you know, statistics and news, is now smashed by the coronavirus because the people say, yeah. well, what's this government actually done to real infrastructure? And look at the health infrastructure in the United States. Yeah. They still don't have enough PPEs and, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, with the coronavirus, with all these mass rallies that are happening. And, and Craig, one of the things that you get, a, that, that people criticise National Development Bank proposal for sometimes is, oh, it'll build white elephants, sort of, which are like make work projects. You can see from that Andrew Cuomo clip, America doesn't have a problem with make-work projects. They desperately need their infrastructure fixed, right? Get their act together and do it, and America will be a better place, and a better America will help make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the dairy industry. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. The market is broken save the dairy industry. And Craig, we put out a very important press release this week um, calling for the, uh, the re-regulation of the dairy industry, but we're reporting the call of none other than the former chairman of Woolworths. His name is John Dalson. I've interviewed him on this show a few times a, a few years ago about the need for bank separation because he's also a former long-time director of the ANZ Bank, so, so some viewers will, will remember him. Um, and he was also a former counsellor at the Institute of Public Affairs. And why that's worth reporting about is the Institute of Public Affairs is one of these really hardcore free market think tanks that was behind all of the, the deregulation of the Australian economy, right? Mm -hmm. Including the deregulation of the dairy industry. And so people get on our website and, and read the, um, the release, the details there, and there's a link to his report. Because he's not just calling for re-regulation, he's, he's got a 100-page report backing it up. We link to the report. So the headline is former Woolworths chairman calls for urgent dairy re-regulation. And he makes some pretty important points. And the, most, the biggest one is this, the market is broken. Right? So he's, a, he's still a free market guy, but he makes the point, this market is broken. And the milk price in Australia, Craig, is one of the lowest in the world. Mm. Right? $1.20. Now, our closest neighbour, New Zealand, which is a great dairy producer, and in fact... It's called the, um, what is it, the Saudi Arabia of dairy, right? It has, in other words, it has an advantage in dairy. Its milk price is $2.50 a litre. Yeah. And our farmers are being paid $1.20. And why? Because, and this is where John's authority is, the Coles Woolworths duopoly is too powerful, right? And they have all the power and they get all the money and the farmers have nothing. And he's, he calls the, the treatment of the farmers unconscionable and un-Australian. Um, and for that, and, he, and he's really worried about where it's going. So, because for instance, 
Um, there is an exodus of dairy farmers in Australia, right? And it's quite serious. Uh, there, we're already down 60% in terms of dairy numbers since deregulation in 2000. Dairy herds are down. Like Victoria has the, advantage, has the greatest dairy advantage in the country, but its dairy herd is down 34% yeah. right here. Um, before the bushfires, dairy farmers were leaving at a rate of two to three a week. After the bushfires, which ravaged Gippsland as our dairy industry area in Victoria, um, Eden Monaro is the dairy around Bega in New South Wales. That's there. So this, was, this is dairy country. The bushfires ravaged those. The rate jumped up to nine to ten a week. And then this week, the, the processors have cut the price of milk again for the dairy farmers, and it's going to go up even more. Right, the rate of exodus of dairy farmers, and John's point is consolidation isn't going to save this industry. Um, we're going to lose it, right? And this is fresh milk. We need it. You need your milk fresh, right? He's only, he's only proposing an increase. Uh, you know, one of the recommendations a forty cent, forty cents, two of those little silver things in your wallet, which are a nuisance. Yep. Per litre. Yep. Robbie, and now we've called for parity pricing. Forty cents a litre, but all to the farmer. All to the farmer, mediated through an, you know, yep. an intermediary. And I think that's really, really important. We believe in parity pricing for rural producers. That is, farmers should be paid the cost of production. And also, you need to be able to protect farmers against a lot of the ravages that most industries do Don't not have, have to deal have. with, especially vagaries of weather, etc. And that's, that's a real key here. Now, we've been on the CEC report, what used to be called the CEC report before the Citizens Report. We've done numerous interviews on this. We've interviewed dairy farmers and, of course, John Dalson on these sorts of topics. So it's, it's a, this is very yeah, so, important. So that's his proposal. There needs to be a re-regulation of the industry and specifically an extra 40 cents a litre to the farmer. Directly. Directly to the farmer that the retailer has to come up with. And it's up to the retailer whether they absorb that or raise their prices. But even if they raise their prices, John's argument is this, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a marginal price rise really um, for the consumer None of us complained, before this dollar a litre price war, none of us complained about the price of milk. No. And then suddenly Coles and Woolies just crashed it down and they got all the benefit from that. Well, one of the shocking things, Robbie, I found from his report was, you know, post-deregulation, the average dairy farm profit was 22818 yet the national minimum wage is 38000 yeah. That's slavery, Robbie, and this is why we've got to stop this. So if you go to your Woolworths or your Coles and you go down the back because... You got it. The milk is always down the back, so you've got to go past everything else they want you to buy first and get tempted by that because you've got to get your milk, right? And everyone has to go get their milk. They understand that thing you rely on so much is being produced by people who have been turned into beggars. And if the former chairman of the IPA can call for re-regulation, it's very important. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to follow this up. I want to play you an interview on it. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're saying the market is broken, save the dairy industry. And I referred earlier to my interview with Dr. Peter Brain on a national bank. I also asked Dr. Peter Brain a question about the way industry regulation used to work in Australia through production boards, including for the dairy industry, because there was a reason we did those. And all those, pol all those policies were vilified through the, by the neoliberals. But So this is his comment on that, how important that was. Have a look. Uh, production production boards uh, basically uh, it was I, I suppose a, re, a response to the depression uh, where agricultural prices fell to very low levels. Uh, so what um, 
uh, what the idea was is and prices fell to very low levels. Uh, so the idea was that what we needed was a market mechanism which prevented that from happening and if you like led to orderly marketing <laughs> outcomes. Yeah. So um, uh, production boards basically it varied across the range but in, in, in its most comprehensive uh, form uh, would it's like in in, in uh, dairy production uh, set the the quotas or the production quotas for how much yep. uh, uh, farmers could produce and determine what prices they would receive and it, it could it didn't it, uh, production boards or if you like market production boards for sort of things like grain which uh, was sold into an international market, uh, uh, more or less, uh, the production board would be uh, classified as a marketing board or something. Yeah, the wheat board. But it, it, it tried to uh, do the same thing by more jaw boning rather than um, uh, or financial incentives rather than by uh, decreeing quantitative uh, outcomes. Now, obviously, no, we don't want to go back to a marketing board determining everything, but what we need to go back to is an industry development board, if you like, uh, which intervenes where there's clear market failure in terms of these industries. Now, a clear market failure at the moment is, of course, the uh, concentration of bargaining power on the consumer side, the big yep. distributors. Uh, versus farmers on the other side. So we need to have something that intervenes in that process to ensure that the bargaining power of um, the producers is brought more up to speed and uh, against the, the, the people that they are bargaining, bargaining, bargaining with. So uh, that will certainly help on price, but there's a much bigger issue too than that the bigger issue is uh, is there's a lot of issues that in the agricultural sector that are, are an effective uh, uh, production enhancement board, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, would be very effective, and that 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 would be in the area of international market access, market international market development, the response to climate change, funding to Funding local producers, getting them financed to change, fundamentally change the way they do things so they're more efficient and protected against the shocks which come quite increasing regularity against their uh, production, production potential. Uh, they can get a, involved in a whole range of things like this to give the industry a focus, give, tell the industry they are. Uh, that, 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 that they are there to help facilitate, assist and resource collaborative efforts to produce a better outcome for whatever the agricultural industry is. And I feel that sort of comprehensive approach would not only be extremely good for morale uh, and, and people's willingness to invest, but much more efficient uh, in achieving outcomes uh, in terms of productivity, scale, investment. Uh, in other words, get the best out of the sector. We're not getting the best out of the sector. So, 
That's what Peter Brain said about this issue of the dairy industry and, and regulation more generally. Um, Craig, this is something that we've got to make sure Parliament actually acts upon. Absolutely, Robbie. It's urgent. So, Craig, thanks for joining us today. Like I said, if you want to know more, call in and get a free copy of this. But thanks for joining the CEC report, Citizens Report. Join us next week for more.